chapter 13 from my romance novel, Good Enough. This chapter is called Nantucket Bay Scallops. After a breakfast of freshly baked blueberry muffins, freshly squeezed orange juice and strong coffee, they hit the road and headed southwest in the direction of Northampton, which lay about 140 miles away. Elaine was doing all the driving. They passed signs for the towns of Lawrence, Lowell, Worcester, and made a stop in Springfield for lunch. Eva couldn't resist picking up some Simpsons memorabilia for Luke and picked up a Springfield replica number plate for his bedroom wall. En route again to Northampton, Eva pulled out some information she had downloaded and browsing through it, she read aloud. This small city offers more restaurants and shops, certainly more galleries, theatres and performance venues than most urban centres dozens of times its size. Add two rivers, mountain views, landscape parks and meadow walks and you begin to see why people call it paradise. Says who? inquired a sceptical Elaine. The Boston Globe, Eva replied firmly. As they drove slowly into the city, there was something bustling and atmospheric about it. And then Eva noticed the posters welcoming tourists that read, the Northampton's Food Festival opens for a three-day feast of the cuisine Northampton is famous for. Looks like we've struck it lucky here then, Elaine enthused as they followed directions to their lodgings. It was late afternoon and again they were staying in a B&B. This time it was an old colonial mansion. The house itself was breathtaking with timber decking wrapped right around the first floor and imposing columns and architraving. They had quick showers and changed for the evening, setting off to investigate the food festival. The city was buzzing with diners grazing from one restaurant stall to another, indulging themselves in selections from every cuisine imaginable, from Indian to Chinese, to Mexican and Japanese. Eva and Elaine bought their food festival tickets, discovering that over 30 restaurants were participating and that there were more than 80 culinary specialities to be sampled. Between the two of them, they spent the following hour tasting from a selection of barbecued chicken sticks, maki rolls, chicken and shrimp jambalaya, Philly steak and cheese, blackened fillet tips, served over rice with gorgonzola beurre blanc, and pan-blackened sea scallops with mango ketchup. It seemed ludicrous to have sampled as much as they did, but everything was in really small portions, making it possible to savour at most two or three bites and then move on. They had both tried different things and between them had still probably only tasted less than half of what was on offer. When eventually they couldn't face another morsel they sipped on cold beer and listened as Latin, rhythm and blues and rock and roll bands took turns on the music stage. The following morning, Eva had a list of stores and galleries that she was anxious to investigate and Elaine dutifully accompanied her for the first couple of hours. But it was all too businesslike an approach to shopping for her. And so she skived off to a cooking demonstration in the chef's tent at the Taste Festival in the afternoon. Meeting up back at the B&B, at five o'clock, they readied themselves for another evening at the food festival. As they explored more new tastes, Elaine raved about her day. She had seen two chefs in action, a flamethrower, a unicyclist and comedian performing, and had also discovered a lovely old bookshop which provided a welcome escape when she had had enough of the food fair and she had bought herself a new book. Likewise, Eva also had a successful day. Northampton proved to be a mecca in terms of sorting, sourcing items for her new store. The downtown area was made for exploring on foot, 
and very easy to get around. Every block that she strolled unveiled side streets with stores whose doors she found were impossible to pass by. Museums and antique stores offered glimpses into Northampton's rich history and art galleries were everywhere. There were amazing displays of handcrafted pottery and sculpture and Eva was being spoiled for choice. Her big find was truly unique, something she had never seen in any shop on her travels. She had found yak fibre rugs and not only yak, llamas and camels too were being reared in Northampton for fibre, which was then dyed and transformed into rugs and sweaters. She had also picked out some beautiful prints that she was having shipped back. In rich earthy tones, they represented maps and journeys. There was some sculpting work in bronze and other metals that she was interested in, as well as another range of pottery. But the rugs in the various mixes of yak, llama and camel fibres were amazing. Eva was really excited about them and had arranged a visit to the manufacturer the following day and was thinking about commissioning some wall hangings as well as rugs in various sizes. Eva knew from her research that hundreds of artists from potters to painters had chosen to call the area home, but hadn't anticipated that Northampton would be the highlight of her trip. On their last day in Northampton, Eva set about finalizing her orders for some unique yak wall hangings and rugs, bronze sculptures, map inspired prints, and made the shipping arrangements while Elaine had booked herself into a spa for the afternoon and indulged in a full body massage, manicure, pedicure, and facial. Their time in Northampton had passed far too quickly, and Eva would have loved to have stayed for another couple of days, but she was more than satisfied with her finds there. Their third and last night exploring Northampton was a lot less indulgent than the previous two, with both of them having simple salad for dinner and turning in for an early night. The next day was a Sunday, and they rose early to drive 140 miles eastward to Plymouth, arriving there by noon. Eva had chosen to visit Plymouth purely because the name had leapt out at her when she had been studying the map of Massachusetts. Antiques and gift shops were plentiful, and there was lots of unique stoneware and porcelain on offer. They browsed through some art galleries and had a late brunch before Eva spent the afternoon checking out some more craft shops. Elaine made no secret of the fact that by now she had seen enough pottery to do her for the rest of the year, if not forever and happily spent a couple of hours reading her new book on the beach. Eva was beginning to think that by now her pottery range was probably expansive enough anyway, with two ranges from the south of France, one from Ipswich, one from Northampton, and an assortment of other pieces. What she found in Plymouth was spoons of all things, beautifully shaped wooden serving spoons made from cherry wood that would be perfect with salad and pasta serving bowls. Meeting up with Elaine again at five o'clock, they had a relatively short drive to Hyannis, where they were booked into a motel. The accommodation was fresh, clean and basic, with none of the homely touches that they had gotten used to in the B&Bs. A light sea breeze struggled to refresh them as they strolled in search of a restaurant on a warm, balmy evening. They passed the JFK Museum and found a bar that served pizza slices that they enjoyed with refreshing cold beers. Elaine was tired from all the sea air and embraced the suggestion of another early night, conking out as soon as her head hit the pillow. But Eva couldn't sleep. She kept thinking about the kids and worrying. Once she started, her worries began to snowball, and what had begun as a niggling guilt pang for being away from them evolved into something akin to a panic attack. She felt caught for breath, her chest felt tight, and she got up to open the window for some air. 
lying back into the bed, she twisted and turned, but couldn't relax enough to find sleep. She thought about the children as babies and how she used to listen for them breathing in the cot by her bedside at nighttime. Every raised temperature or sign of a rash had her at the doctor's surgery, fearing the worst. When they were sick, Alan used to calm her down. He told her strongly in his arms in bed at night and stroke her hair and tell her that the kids were fine and everything would be all right. And she believed him. She always believed him. And now he was gone. Tears flowed steadily down Eva's cheeks, thinking about how good things had been. She had been perfectly happy with her life. She loved her complete family. And now it was broken. Why did he stop loving me? She asked herself. Why? Why wasn't she good enough? Eva felt alone and miserable. She just wanted to be at home. Silently sobbing into her pillow, she focused on steadying her breathing until eventually sleep cradled her. Woken early by an alarm call, Eva felt shattered. Catching sight of her puffy eyes in the mirror, she remembered why. Eva splashed her face with ice cold water after she showered and then spent time in her makeup, dabbing on some highlighter in an attempt to look brighter before waking Elaine, who had happily slept through the alarm. Eva left her to get ready and went to pick up some coffees and to make a call home. They were five hours behind. It was lunchtime in Ireland. Hannah confidently answered her grandmother's phone and sounded like the right little grown-up. A ten-minute phone call later and Eva was as right as rain again. The kids were fine and having a ball. While they did ask how many days before she'd be home, she knew they weren't pining after her and that all was well. Returning with coffee and croissants, she could hear Elaine singing in the shower and shouted at her to get a move on. They really needed to push on if they were going to make the early ferry. Leaving the car in Hyannis port, they travelled as foot passengers on the ferry from the shores of Cape Cod, 30 miles to Nantucket Island. On arrival, they took a short but very bumpy taxi ride through the main cobble street of Nantucket and up some narrow streets until they arrived at their lodgings in a very quaint guest house called the Bluebell Inn. The landlady gave them a warm welcome and showed them to their rooms. This time, they had separate rooms, both beautifully decorated. Four poster beds with mattresses high off the ground were simply covered with patchwork quilts, and the bathroom was well equipped with complimentary fizzing bath bombs, body lotion, and sumptuously thick white cotton towels, ensuring a feeling of being well pampered. They dropped their bags and set off on foot again. With only two days to spend in Nantucket, they set off to explore some of the boutiques off the main street and quickly discovered that shopping in Nantucket was not for the faint-hearted. Prices were exorbitant in comparison to the mainland. Accommodation was expensive, as was eating out and shopping. Despite that, Eva fell in love with the Nantucket Friendship Basket, a traditional hand-woven shopping basket in various styles and sizes, and she was eager to source some. They could possibly make upmarket gift baskets filled with candles and soaps, etc. Elaine had just about had her fill of boutiques and galleries by now. And when they passed a bike shop and saw an elderly couple gearing up with helmets, she persuaded Eva to do the same. They hired their bikes, bought a pre-packed lunch and strolled the bikes back to their lodgings where they changed into shorts and trainers and packed their swimsuits and towels into a backpack. Like Unsteady preschoolers for the first mile or so, they gradually got the hang of it again. It must have been at least two decades since either of them had cycled anywhere. But once they got used to it, it was heavenly. Cycling along the dedicated bike paths, with a breeze in their face, they could only feel happy, alive and carefree. Stopping at Surfside Beach, about two miles out of town, 
they parked the bikes and chose a spot on the beach for lunch. Two delicious hours were passed bammed out on the expansive sandy beach, eyes closed, shades on and slathered in sun cream. Bammed out, Eve amused to herself, a peculiarly cork expression. This is the life, isn't it, Elaine? You're telling me, Eva. It's been wonderful. Nearly time to head back to the real world, though. It's been fabulous, but the guilt is beginning to hit me and I'm really starting to miss the kids. What kind of mother takes off and leaves her kids for 10 days in the summer? Ah, Eva, don't be so hard on yourself. You know fine well those two are having a ball at their grandmother's. And besides, you're building their future. Would you be a better mother wallowing on the couch all day and watching talk shows, do you think? I know, Elaine. I just feel a bit guilty. I don't know any more useless emotion than guilt. Ah, but us Catholics thrive in it, don't we, though? Reared in it, we were, girl. Do you remember breaking Lent and feeling the world's worst for having scoffed a chocolate biscuit? Eva asked. Or feeling all good and pure after confession and trying your hardest not to say a bad word and put a black spot in your soul? Eva laughed. Bananas, isn't it? Nuts. Well, shall we mosey before we fry ourselves completely? I think I've gained enough wrinkles for one afternoon. Eva began to gather up her belongings and stood to shake the sand off her towel. Her eyes locked onto the horizon and she gazed for a few seconds, thinking of her beautiful children on the other side of the water. Elaine led the way as they cycled back to the guest house. The showers in America were fantastic. No need for exfoliation, thought Eva, as she turned up the pressure and power hosed her body with a refreshing blast of water. It was so strong that it almost hurt. The afternoon sunbathing had brought out Eva's tan. And she felt really good as she moisturised her skin with a pure body Nantucket nourishing body oil. Simply packaged, Eva made a mental note to inquire about the supplier. They had decided to treat themselves to a dinner in a nice restaurant and to clam up for the night. Time for a little black dress again, Eva decided as she rummaged through her clothes that she had hung in the wardrobe. She pulled out the knee-length halterneck dress with a very low scooping back that needed to be worn braless. Needless to say, the dress hadn't gotten very many outings in Ireland, but now that her tan gave her an extra glow, she decided to brave it again and grabbed a wrap that was actually meant to be a sarong in case she felt the need to cover up. Unfortunately, because her three-inch heels would have looked a bit ridiculous manoeuvring the cobble streets, she had to stick with the safer height of her kitten heels, and even that was tricky. Elaine had gone all out and looked sensational in a dusky pink calf-length silk dress with shoestring straps and plunging neckline, accessorised with a simple pair of diamond stud earrings. Her footwear was also more sensible than she would have liked, but rather than risk a twisted ankle, she opted for flat but pretty leather flip-flops, which were embellished with beading and sequins in pinks and gold. With an hour to pass before dinner, they strolled down to the dock to admire the yachts that were moored there. The boats came in all shapes and sizes, with some of them being virtually floating houses. Originally a booming whaling port, the facilities on offer were first class. The place reeked of money. Middle-aged couples in pristine, white cotton shorts and pastel-coloured polo shorts and sweaters manned the decks, with many of the women draped in chunky gold necklaces and bracelets. Gosh, she'd want to put the crown jewels in the galley, wouldn't she? Elaine remarked of one particularly heavily jewellery-laden shipmate. 
That lot will pull you under in a second, she giggled. You're only jealous, Elaine. Eva was chuckling as she imagined the anchor on the woman's faith, hope and charity necklace becoming larger than life and dragging her overboard. Not funny, really, Eva said, trying to be serious and recover decorum as they strolled onwards. Nantucket Island really was one of the prettiest places that Eva had ever visited. A little bit like Kinsale, but without the traffic. Nobody was rushing around. It was so relaxing. Again, they wandered in and out of boutiques that stocked some beautiful crafts, unusual handmade jewellery and lots of artwork. They had made dinner reservations at a seafood restaurant and because they had booked early, managed to get one of the more popular tables outside on the terrace. Their dining experience was an indulgent laid-back affair, with Eva doing justice to succulent Nantucket-based scallops in a white wine sauce, and Elaine polishing off a platter of garlic-scented mushrooms. Lingering over the last of the wine before returning to their guest house, they were very glad of their choice of footwear, as they cautiously picked their way across cobbled streets. You couldn't possibly beat this island, for old worldliness and charm. Eva gave her final day on Nantucket one last go to supplement the stock for her shop. She came across a range of salt and pepper mills in strikingly modern blue, red and white. Useful and attractive and made on the island, Eva made arrangements to ship an order and got email information for subsequent orders. The friendship baskets, however, proved much too costly an item for her to order though she compromised by buying one of the baskets for herself. Beach chairs were another Nantucket find, a classic range of deck chairs in red oak with heavyweight canvas in sand, navy, red and forest green. Eva decided to order 40 of them, 10 in each colour. It would also be possible to customise them with a logo and she thought that this would make for unusual corporate merchandising and imagined herself pitching ideas to the local Stout company about emblazoning a picture of a pint on the chair with their slogan or whatever. It would be worth giving it a shot and could bring in another dimension to her business. Elaine by now was well and truly sated with visits to craft shops and was making no secret of it, groaning audibly every time Eva passed outside yet another one. She eventually decided to abandon Eva for the afternoon and set off for another one of the many beaches on a rented bike with her book for company. It was almost the end of Eva's trip to the States and it had been more successful than she could have imagined. By mid-afternoon, Eva decided that enough was enough. She had plenty to stock her Cape Cod inspired section and it was time to relax and enjoy what was left of her say. She cycled out to Madocat Beach to join her friend. Arriving back to their lodgings later, neither of them had either the energy or inclination to dress up for a second night of gourmet dining in Nantucket. Without bothering to change, they went in search of casual dining. What they found suited them perfectly. It was a little restaurant and bar with an artsy cinema at the back. Ravenous from the sea air and cycling, they dined on buffalo wings, crab cakes and a cranberry relish and potato skins topped with dollops of sour cream and chives and of course of side salad just to keep it healthy. The only deserving accompaniment could be a well-chilled beer and nothing could have tasted so refreshing in the heat of the evening. Sleep was slow to come to Eva yet again, not because of longing for her children, but because her mind was working overtime with ideas. The cranberry relish that had been served with the crab cakes had been absolutely delicious. The only time that Eva had ever tasted cranberries had been in a sauce on Christmas Day, and it never occurred to her to open a jar at any other time of the year to dress something other than turkey.
Besides the relish, there were all sorts of other cranberry products available, like jams, jellies, syrups and glazes. They were extremely versatile and could be used on starters, spilled over cream cheese, heated as a sauce for chicken or pork, or as a glaze baked on a roast chicken. Would a food section work in the store, she wondered. Keep it a select offering, she thought, with unusual but high quality products. But was this diversifying too much? Should she just stick to the interiors? She pondered as she dozed off to sleep and began dreaming of cranberries. Setting sail early next morning on the ferry, they both were a little sad to wave goodbye to Nantucket Island as they passed the Brandt Lighthouse, standing majestically proud of its guard duties. Picking up the car in Hyannis Port, they started their journey back to Boston and the drive passed quietly with both of them solitary in their thoughts. Elaine felt sad that her week off with her friend was coming to an end and that by Monday she would be facing back into work again. And Eva savoured the last few glimpses of the Cape Cod coastline, equally sad to leave, but so looking forward to heading home to Ireland again to see her beautiful children. Elaine negotiated the tricky task of driving Boston's complex network of roads with ease, and they were parked at her apartment building by lunchtime. They unloaded the car, and by now Eva had accumulated quite a few bits and pieces. She had samples of pottery and candles from Ipswich, a rug made of yak fibres from Northampton, a modern bronze sculpted piece that she couldn't resist buying for herself, some samples of cherry wood salad serving spoons from Plymouth, her friendship basket from Nantucket, and a vast array of catalogues. With her flight the next day, Eva set off on some last minute shopping in search of gifts for Hannah and Luke. Elaine was less than subtle when she declined to join her with a firm response of no. So Eva headed from Newbury Street towards Boylston Street in search of a toy store. Walking in the warm Boston air, she passed the People's Park and noticed red and yellow line markings on the pavement marking various trails that you could follow, easily exploring Boston's history and landmarks. Taking her time, she strolled in the direction of Faneuil Hall and Quincy Market. Throbbing with tourists, street performers provided free entertainment, while there were over a hundred shops and restaurants to browse and eat in. The indoor food court provided a vast choice of cuisine that could be eaten in the various self-seating areas provided. For a refined dining experience, seafood was an offer in the more upmarket exterior restaurants, with Cape Cod lobster featuring on most menu boards. Eva opted for a slice of pizza from an Italian food stall, accompanied with a can of Coke. After eating, she explored the marketplace shops and found gifts for Luke and Hannah. Feeling like her trip to Boston has just slipped away, she returned to Elaine's, where she gratefully accepted a glass of chilled Californian Zinfandel and sank into a sumptuously padded cream leather armchair. I can see the attraction of Boston, Elaine. So you don't think I'm mad to settle down here then? Not at all, girl, for this is the life, Eva replied, sipping her wine and resting her weary feet up on the glass coffee table. Well, I do hate to try and move you, but do you realise it's almost seven and I've made us reservations for eight o'clock at my favourite restaurant? Eva groaned as she tried to ease herself out of the armchair. I'll just finish this glass first, Elaine, and I'll be ready in a jiffy, she pleaded as she sank back into the chair again. 
You wouldn't know a jiffy if it hit you over the head, Elaine. Elaine teased as she headed off to grab a quick shower. The heat of the sun was still strong as it beamed through the window of Elaine's apartment and Eva savoured the last few mouthfuls of her glass of wine before forcing herself out of the chair and picking out something to wear for the evening. She had brought herself a delicate pistachio green silk sleeveless top in one of the shops on Newbury Street and decided to give it an outing. Teamed with a pair of designer denims, she hoped she looked more sex in the city than desperate housewives. The meal was heavenly, with both of them having steaks and truffle fries. Dessert was a shared loaded brownie sundae, which was a celebration of all things chocolate. The brownie, the chocolate chips, with sticky chocolate sauce, ice cream and cream was heavenly. As they walked home, Eva said that all her guilt had made her want to do something really special with the kids. And she put a suggestion to Elaine. You might not be interested, she began, but I was thinking it might be nice to bring the kids on a shopping trip to New York before Christmas. And you could join us if you wanted to. What do you think? Oh, Eva, I'd love that. Really? It's just I want to do something really special to celebrate their birthdays. And there's no way I can face hosting a party for them this year. Absolutely. New York would be magical for the kids coming up to Christmas, enthused Elaine. And there's the ice skating in Central Park at that time of year, too. Brilliant. I look into it when I get back. The evening drew to a close with the two friends polishing off the rem remnants of the bottle of wine from earlier, sitting out on Elaine's deck at the back of her apartment. It was still warm enough to sit outside, even though the moonlight had by now long replaced the sunshine. Being lightheaded from the alcohol, they both spoke more freely than they might have done in daylight sobriety with Eva expressing her anxieties at going back to try and both establish a business and divorce her husband at the same time. Elaine encouraged her in both endeavours and told her that she would support her in any way she could. At least you're going back with a plan. You know what you need to do and it will all come together, Elaine encouraged. It's more of a confidence thing than anything. Sure, what do I know about running a business? Eva replied. About as much as anybody does when starting any business from scratch, next to nothing. But it's a learning curve. You'll ask questions, you'll gather information, and before you know it, you'll be in full control. Do you think? Yeah, I suppose you're right. There's no turning back now anyway. Eva, all you need is the nerve to try it, and you have that. It's daunting all the same. Of course it is, but you're back out there. You're doing stuff, and you're living, Eva. It has taken me a long time to realise that it's only you that can make things happen, not anybody else. I mean the good stuff. Whatever you achieve in life is down to one person, yourself. That's the one message that all the counselling sessions have finally driven home to me. In the beginning, it sounded too simple, too cliched, but experience has proven it to be true. They kept telling me to do the things that made me feel good. I used to think that you either feel good or you didn't. I mean, what would you say are the things that make you feel good, Eva? Lots of things, I suppose. Like? Like my kids, good food, nice clothes, good wine, friendship. But it's not just them as entities, is it, Eva? I mean, it's not just the kids, the food, the clothes. It's your experiences of them. It's you enjoying good food. It's you trying a new recipe. It's you playing with your kids. It's living, Eva not just existing. It's living life 
and partaking in the things that make you feel good as much as you can. This point is making me very philosophical, isn't it? In a way, but what you're saying isn't what you call deep, though. It's simple, but it's true, Eva replied. Yeah, simple. We overcomplicate things. We worry too much. Kids, for the most part, are happy, aren't they? They have short-term goals, and they do the things that they want to do without worry. Do you worry a lot, Elaine? I sit back too much, and doing that can let things slide. Like what? Just like my form, I suppose. That's why I keep going to counselling. It's only once a month, but it usually gives me a kickstart and reinforces all those positive messages. It's one thing telling myself and telling you to just get out there and do stuff and not to worry. But I need to hear it from a professional from time to time as well. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? Gosh, Lee, not at all. There are some things that I have to force myself to do as well, like going to the gym, for instance. But you feel glad that you went, and especially afterwards for having done it. Sometimes even buying food gets me down, Elaine replied. Can you imagine going to a supermarket jammed full of food, all that choice, and just standing there in the aisles feeling like a fool with a basket in your hand and not knowing what to do, turning what should be a simple task into a mammoth issue? I have on occasion left with nothing, which only makes me feel worse. How stupid is that? Elaine, it's not stupid. Come on. Don't be so hard on yourself. No, I'm not. I'm fine. I, I know how to deal with these situations now. I've learned these little pull-yourself-together skills that I do. There's yoga breathing and writing notes to myself. One therapist actually encouraged me to write how I felt with one hand and then write something to talk away that issue with the other hand. Writing with your left hand isn't easy, you know. I think it's nearly more the effort that goes into the task rather than the task itself that sets you on the right track again. Yoga's great for lots of things, isn't it? I did it when I was pregnant with Hannah and used to nearly float out after the classes. Yeah, although apart from the odd bit of relaxation breathing that I practice myself, I haven't been to a class in ages. It's Pilates that's all the rage now. Have you been? I've seen notices up at my gym and was wondering about going myself, Eva inquired. Yeah, it's super for toning up, especially the tummy area. I went to a six weeks course and will probably sign up for another one again soon. Well, we'd better hit the sack if you were to be in any fit state for travelling tomorrow, Elaine suggested as she yawned and looked at her watch. It was almost 2am and even though Eva's flight wasn't until evening time the following day, they were both feeling jaded after their travels over the past week and agreed to sleep in until they woke.